0: Welcome to IdeaGen TV. Today, we are inspired, we are thrilled, and we are in awe of our guest, Joe Coughlin, a member of the AARP Board of Directors and founder and director of the MIT Age Lab. Joe, welcome.
1: It's great to be here, George. Thank you so much for having me. Well,
0: Joe, you know, it's... Truly an interesting moment. I think interesting is probably the operative word. We are emerging uh, from one of the most difficult, perhaps years in human history with the global pandemic. And yet AARP and your work on the board of directors and all of the work by the organization are helping to not only inspire, but to solve for, to create solutions for those 50 plus, for the experienced workers around the world, for the economies around the world where you have all of this incredible talent. And and so I'm so looking forward to hearing your power talk today on IdeaGen TV as part of the Cloud AI and Innovation 2030 Summit. We're just incredibly excited.
1: it's, it's great to be here, George, because this is not just an interesting time in terms of COVID, but we're actually experiencing something unprecedented. It's a great opportunity to live longer and better.
0: Well, Joe, I, and on behalf of the millions of people around the world that will watch this power talk, I wanna thank you. And I want to say that, my gosh, what you're doing is so incredibly worthwhile and you're moving the needle. You're (laughs) moving the needle, you're changing the world,
1: and we're so grateful for you and for AARP. Well, thank you so much. And it's great to be here. The thing is, is that none of us move the needle as individuals alone. We may spark a tone. We may give, shall we say, incentives and vision. But it's my colleagues at AARP who are moving the needle at national level and international. It's my colleagues, my students and colleagues across the campus at MIT that are thinking of new technologies, new ideas and insights to not just help us live longer but more importantly, to help us live better. So I'd like to start with a story in my Power Talk, because the oldest technology in the world, as we'll come back to in a moment, is the story. I want to talk to you about a woman named Sarah Noss. Many of you may not have heard of her, but I want you to imagine this. Sarah Noss lived to 119 years old, and on her 119th birthday, someone had the pure chutzpah to ask her, a journalist, in fact, Ms. Noss, why do you enjoy living so long? And She came back with an answer far better than any pundit, engineer, doctor, policymaker, whatever it might be. She said, I enjoy my longer life because I have my health and I can do things. Ladies and gentlemen, the longevity economy is not just about living longer. It is about ensuring that we have the health to do the things we love. Longevity is about living not about counting birthdays. I want to tell you a little bit about my team at the MIT Age Lab. We've been working with AARP for many years. My team is one-third every flavor of psychology you can imagine, one-third every form of social psychology and social science. Another third, as you might imagine, at MIT, we are based in the School of Engineering and the Center for Transportation and Logistics, but we have engineers and data sciences. Why do I tell you this? Because I want you to be excited that longevity is not a medical problem. It is not an issue of disability alone. It is a multidisciplinary, multi-domain. In fact, an extreme sport of such that requires many different types of thinking in every kind of domain you can imagine. And the Age Lab is the first, I believe, organization at a university not just to look at aging per se as as a phenomenon, but as an integrated, complex systems opportunity. We look at transportation and the future of the community. Imagining the home not simply as a place to live, but as a platform of services that provides care, convenience, and connectivity across the lifespan. It is about providing care and well-being and physical health. And it's not just about retirement planning, it's about longevity planning. So we bring our team together, working excitingly with industry to bring ideas out of the laboratory and put them into your living room. But let's talk about aging. Let's talk about the longevity economy rising. Think about this. Do you know that half the children born in the so-called industrialized world, one half of them, are likely to live to over 100 years old. And while that is the industrialized world, the developing economies of the world, we are seeing that as income and education go up, we are seeing great strides in longevity as well. But let's think about this. 100 years, that's more than, shall we say, more time in retirement. This is an opportunity to rethink, reinvent, re-engineer. Retirement, where will you live? Do you genuinely believe that education from someone that looks like me is going to last you 20, 30, 40, 50 years of work? Will my wife of more than three decades want to hear me tell the same jokes over and over? No, ladies and gentlemen, longevity is about more than time. It is about reengineering the rituals, the myths, the institutions, the very places and spaces that we live. And as we look around the world, we're talking about life expectancy of 50% of those kids born in the 90s and 2000s, making it over age 100. We're seeing countries that are not just aging, we're also seeing countries that are aging because something else is happening. It's what we call in the geek speak demographic transition or demographic winter, where there will now be by 2047 more people on the planet over the age of 60 then there will be children under the age of 18. And I know many of you are saying, well, Joe, 2047, that's way off. It's already happened in Europe. It's already happened in Canada. It will happen in the United States over the next 10 years. You see, demography is truly destiny. And that while we've always had population dips and birth rates drop during famine, disease, and war, we've always seen an uptick in that birth rate. This time? not so much even with improvements in daycare social welfare policy the relaxation of the one child one family policy in china we are seeing countries such as china issue things like a workforce shortage as of 2013 relaxing the one child one family policy has actually not produced an uptick in fertility we're seeing countries like japan go from 127 million by mid century to 89 million we're already today they are selling more adult diapers than they are selling child diapers. But I don't want you to think that this is another talk about aging and statistics and the number of older people. No, aging actually is quite new. Longevity is quite new. The next generation of old, as we might wanna call them, are far more educated than any time in history. High school education, community college, college education, graduate school. Now, in part, I have to be fair. Education alone does not make you smart, but it does give you chronic attitude. There is a real number of studies that have shown that older adults today, and by the way, all of us tomorrow, have a great deal of confidence in ourselves. In many cases, some surveys have suggested that 64% of the 55 plus believe they have an IQ higher than average. We perhaps should do a field study on that alone. I know that many of us have pointed towards the digital divide, that technology seems to be out of the reach of older adults. In fact, the pandemic has propelled us five to seven years further along and faster than we could ever imagine. So while the digital divide is still among us, it's less on birthdays and more on income. In fact, even social media sites such as Facebook have been actually called the social media nursing home because among the fastest-growing groups on that platform happen to be women over the age of 45. We see that Wii leagues and video games are no longer the province of kids living in their parents' basement, but 50 and 60 and 70 and 80-year-olds creating entire new medical conditions called Wii wrist, Wii elbow, because they're so excited to play with verve and competition on bowling leagues that are posted online that they're blowing out ligaments and hurting muscles. No, this is not your mother and grandmother's old age. And speaking of women, who's the catalyst in the longevity economy? Who's going to, shall we say, turn the crank where all the people with the attitude and education that they have demand a better life, not just a longer life? Ladies and gentlemen, it's all about women. As I write my book, The Longevity Economy, the future is female. In fact, if you can understand women between the ages of 47 and 57 years old, guess what? Not only does she make the majority of decisions, financial and otherwise, upwards of 90 cents on the dollar of healthcare decisions, for instance, in her own home, she's also been identified as the number one friend and most influential person with her millennial and Gen Z kids. And by the way, she's also the number one caregiver after his spouse, for her parents, and unless her partner has, shall we say, an older adult sister, congratulations, this woman is now having more parents to pay to take care of than she'd ever planned on having children. Yes, middle aged women, particularly between 47 and 57, are the linchpin, the fulcrum of the longevity economy. So, yes, it is about numbers and education and attitude and technology and women but it's also about money. It's about buying power. We're talking about the 60-plus population worldwide, given the studies to by my colleagues at AAP and other places, including my own lab at the MIT Age Lab, make up the third largest global spending power after the GDP of the United States and China. You see, the stories we tell around old age are about an old age that is long gone. And while there is great inequity and disparity on how this wealth is distributed, the fact of the matter is the greatest chunk, shall we say, of change is in the hands of the 60 plus. And in the United States, North America, and parts of Europe, the 50 plus control nearly 60 to 70% of the global spend. Sadly, you would never know this because less than 3% of advertising dollars goes to this alpha consumer. In short, in the words of the great philosopher, Jimmy Buffett, and I am a devoted Parrothead, if you will. We are the people your parents warned you about. What do I mean by that? The new generation gap is not just about ideas and attitudes. It's about expectations. You see, previous generations of older adults were somewhat polite. They were patient. They waited for the van to come pick them up. They hoped there might be a technology they could understand. They were even hoping that grandchildren would drop by. Do we believe that a population now with education, the income, the attitude, and having had technology and shopping malls and education and hospitals and the like made for them from zero to 75 is suddenly at a certain age going to say, well, that's it. I guess there's no more for me. You see, the new generation gap is our parents believe that there was retirement pulling back. There's less. The next generation, the rising longevity economy is the belief that there is a pill, a product, a policy, an experience that's going to make life not just living longer, but living better. That gap between our parents and the next generation, that is the innovation space, the white space for technology, be it AI, be it systems, be it services, experiences. This is the heart of the longevity economy rising. But let me tell you about the most powerful technology. It's also a technology that helps us and hurts us. It is the story. You know, the story is the most powerful because it explains why we do certain things, why we don't do others, what's possible, what's impossible. And believe it or not, there is a story of old age. And let me tell you here, as I write in my book, The Longevity Economy, old age is made up. Yes, indeed, it is truly made up. You see, in the 1800s and early 1900s, British medical science said that you were only born with a certain amount of vital energy or vital force. And if you used it badly, which, by the way, meant anything fun, you would drain that energy. You would become less than a glass full. You become a less... Empty or half empty or half full. In fact, you'd become so tired. And here's the power of story you create language to reinforce that story. You'd become so tired, you would what? You would have to retire. You see, if you didn't have energy or vital force in the 1800s, early 1900s, you couldn't work because it was mostly manual labor. And if you couldn't work, You would have to retire because you were too tired. And where did people who did not have families go if they could not work because there were no social welfare programs to support them? They went to poor homes. But you see, the language around retirement became from tired to retired. Poor homes became nursing homes. And for those of us who are old enough, we also know that nursing homes translates quite often into another home that we used to call funeral homes. The story of old age that was predicated on this loss of vitality, productivity, engagement has turned the greatest success of humankind longer life, not into an opportunity to be realized, but into a problem to be solved. Economists, pundits, politicians are wary now of what's going to happen to our healthcare systems, our workforces and the like. Rather than realizing if we change the story of when we think retirement is, what we think vitality means, how we provide health across the lifespan, not just an older age, changes the story overall. And stories have consequences. Great companies like Heinz Senior Foods, if you will, believe that, frankly, gee, older adults, they... Technologies out there reminding us to take our medications, to take our blood pressure, or help, I fall and I can't get up. Those are all really useful, rational, needed pieces of equipment. But I want you to imagine this. Do you know only 35% of people over age 75 reported that they felt old? But 100% of people who use a device on their wrist that says, help, old man about to fall down, know that they're old. As a result, the adoption rate of these technologies are in single digits even in countries where they're paid for 100%. We're seeing the future of senior housing be much different than what we've seen in the past. We see devices that have capability, but no design. We devise remote uh, controls for televisions and stereos and the like that look more like self-defense devices than they are remotes because the designers and engineers lack the creativity, lack the energy, to make it a device that is understandable, not just for older people, but for everyone that have elegance and design and fashion. We do more in old age than monitor our medications and our blood pressure and the like. Old age is not just about medical, it is about life itself. We need to invent new color schemes. Why is it that all products that seem to be designed for older adults are in uh, beige and boring or in clinical blue? Let me transition to what the opportunities are. First off, let's do a little bit of mathematics. I want you to understand, from zero to 21 years old, and for some of you, maybe drinking age is the best way to mark that 21 years old, is about 8,000 days. From 21 to midlife crisis, 46, 47, be generous, is about 8,000 days. I bet you're getting the algorithm now. From midlife crisis to 65 years old, that almost law of physics, Newton's law of gravity of retirement is about 8,000 days. But do you know that more than 50% of the population is likely to make it to 85 and change? And guess what? That is another 8,000 days. So if we take 0 to 21 and we call that childhood, and move that gently off to the side. Ladies and gentlemen, I am asking you to address the fact that you were talking about what we call old age today is one third of adult life. That is the opportunity to invent an entirely new life sp- uh, uh, story and life stage that is sitting there waiting to be discovered, waiting to be invented. How will we work in retirement? Yes, work, part-time, volunteer with Verve, whatever it might be. Most people are working in retirement, yes, because they need the money, but also the meaning, the social connectivity. You have to have a reason to get up in the morning. The pandemic has shown that while younger people are not thrilled to do all their classes online, We're now living in a world where school is never out. How do we rethink education to keep up with the velocity, the technology changes, the knowledge volume that is doubling every few months in many professions? Not just to make sure that you can stay working, but to make sure that you can stay competitive. How do we manage being ill without being sick? You may have one, two, three, maybe four chronic conditions. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can't walk the dog, see a grandchild, do gardening, or work, or drive, or whatever it might be. We've seen during the pandemic that telemedicine, the idea of a checkup a day, even can be as near as your home. We see technologies and artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, making our homes into computers, if you will, where they become platforms of services that provide convenience for the young, connectivity for middle age, but ultimately provide care and nutrition services, delivery services for older adults and caregivers. We're seeing opportunities to redesign our communities to be safer, seamless, exciting, delighting, and having the accessibility, density, and intensity to excite everyone of every age. No one wants an old man's anything, technology, product, or service. If we can do this for the old, we will improve it for all. The driverless car has great possibilities powered by robotics and AI algorithms. Here's one that we don't think about at old age. Have you thought about the F word? No, not that word. I'm talking about fun, fashion, friends. What are the technologies? What are the products, the services and experiences that have yet to be created to keep us connected, to keep us smiling in old age? From video games to everything that may be high tech to all the things we should be thinking about that are also high touch. We think about robotics that can remind us to take our meds. Robotics are also being used to keep us company. We're also using robotics to make sure that we do all the things that we need to do in the home. We also need to think about how do we provide care, not just for those we love, but for those ourselves. How can robotics, AI, the Internet of Things, the on demand economy, shall we say, be a force multiplier for caregivers to extend their reach in the home, in the community, or maybe sometimes across the country? or even across countries. We see great technologies from Japan and Norway, UK, the United States, around the world. New ideas are being brought to old age. We're seeing everything from smart toasters to smart toilets and the like. Let's not just make them, shall we say, artifacts of technology that are done by engineers because they can. Let's have a vision as to what we want that technology to be. So let me end on this note. The longevity economy, the longevity economy rising is really the new endless frontier. Vannevar Bush, the former dean of engineering and science advisor to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, said that science was the endless frontier. Ladies and gentlemen, at the MIT Age Lab and my colleagues at AARP, we see the pursuit of technology in quality of life as the new endless frontier for society, business, families, and all nonprofits and government agencies. Lastly, I want you to think of this. It is said by architects that skyscrapers are acts of optimism, that we reach for the skies, not just for space, not just for design, acumen, and the like, but we reach because we want to see how far we can push our skills. Ladies and gentlemen, join me in the challenge of making the longevity economy a statement, a skyscraper, a statement of optimism of a new story of old age where we all, Of every class, kind, ethnicity, and gender, live longer and live better. Thank you so much, Idea Janet. It's been great to be here, and I really look forward to working with you.